No, you may sit down. You just asked if he could preach. It was in the uh, summer of uh, 2010 that two of the world's richest men began what they called the Giving Pledge. Bill Gates and Warren Buffett agreed together to give the majority of their wealth away to charities. Additionally, they also challenged other wealthy people to to do the same. In in fact, if you go to the givingpledge.org website, the homepage reads, the Giving Pledge is an effort to invite the wealthiest individuals and families in America to commit to giving the majority of their wealth to philanthropy. Now, while we may not approve of some of their philanthropic uh, endeavors, you have to admire the way that, well, the way that some of the so-called 1% is seeking to share their wealth. Not to be outdone, a year later in September 2011, the 99% thought that they would, through Occupy Wall Street and Occupy like the world, that they also would encourage the rich to, to share with them, I guess. Well, the, 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 this givingpledge.org website gives a directory of people who have committed to take the pledge, the giving pledge, to give their wealth away. Included on the list uh, with Gates and Buffett are George Lucas of Star Wars fame, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, founder of Facebook, and Ted Turner, founder of CNN. And I say, good for them. And so this morning, I am asking you to take the giving pledge, to give away your wealth. (laughs) And you say, well, you are really confused. We are not wealthy. Yes, actually you are. You see, we have spent about three months now talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. All the way through Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and half of 3, we have been reminded of what God has done for us through His Son, Jesus, how He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, how, listen, how wealthy we are. Consider, for example... He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters. Listen, we have been adopted. You ever ever thought, man, I wish I could be adopted by Bill and Melinda? Listen, we have been adopted by the God of Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. In Christ, we have redemption through His blood. In Him, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses. In Him, He has lavished and He is continuing to lavish on us the riches, the wealth of His grace. He has made known to us the mystery. Now listen, that old saying says that knowledge is power. If knowledge is power, we must be the most powerful people on the planet because we know the most important truth of all time, that all things in the heavens and on the earth are being summed up in Christ. That is the apex of truth, the apex of knowledge. In Him we have obtained an inheritance. (laughs) Again, being Bill and Melinda's son or daughter, that's nothing 
compared to the inheritance that you already have. In Him, having believed the gospel of salvation, we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a pledge, as a guarantee of our inheritance. And all of that, that whole screen, just gets us through the eulogy, which is the first part of chapter 1. Paul's not done. He went on to pray that God would give more of His spirit of revelation and understanding so that we would begin to understand this wealth that we have, and we would get to know God better. And he started chapter 2 by reminding us, well, we were poor. We, we were poor. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We walked according to the course of this evil world, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the desire. This is interesting. According to the desires of our own sinful flesh. You see, we wanted to be rich. We wanted it. We wanted to have, to get we were just looking in all the wrong places. But God, the one who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us, even when we were, when we were in that lost, deplorable, and I'll add bankrupt condition, he made us alive in Christ. By, by grace, we've been saved. He, he raised us up together with Christ. He seated us in the heavenly places right now with Christ. He, he is showing us for all of eternity, in the ages to come, the surpassing, the overwhelming riches, wealth of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ. We've been saved by grace, this time He adds, through faith. And all of that is a gift, an undeserved, unearned gift from God. We are His workmanship, His, his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. How much do you think a piece of painting, a piece of canvas is worth? You are God's masterpiece. Right there, signed in the bottom right-hand corner, God. How much do you think that makes you worth? It's not done. Not done listening all that God has done for us. Our minds are swimming. Our hearts are overwhelmed with wealth. We were, we were Gentiles. We were far off. We were separate from Christ, excluded from Israel, strangers to the promise. We were without hope. Uh, strangers to the covenants, we were without hope, we were without God, but now we who were formerly far off, more gifts, we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Jesus himself has become our peace. He's broken down the dividing wall that separated Jews and Gentiles. He has abolished the hostility that existed between us. He's created a new man in this group, a new humanity bringing us together in peace into one body, and then he reconciled that one body to God, such that we now have access to God, the Father, in one spirit. That's wealth. That's overwhelming, these blessings that we have in Christ. He's not done. We are no longer strangers and aliens. We are fellow citizens with the saints. We are members of God's household. Will you stop and think about that a minute? We are members of God's household. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be rich? The God of the universe is your dad. We are living stones, growing into a temple in which the Spirit lives. We finally get to chapter 3. We are fellow heirs with the Jews. We are members of the body of Christ. And we are fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. 
take a breath. We are really, really, really rich. But here's the question for us today. What are we supposed to do with our wealth? Are we supposed to just sit back and enjoy the blessings of salvation? Are we supposed to just hoard it? Are we supposed to just keep it to ourselves? Or are we supposed to take a pledge and give it away? Here's the crazy thing about our wealth. You can give it and you can give it and you can give it and never deplete it. It's what Paul did. We read it about it in our text this morning. Can we learn anything from his example? Look at it with me. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 18 and, verse 8 and following say this. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the, un, notice, the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was all in accordance with the eternal purpose which He carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. Now I know, I know some of you are really smart. You're, you're really astute. And immediately some of you are saying, but now no, no, wait just a minute. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was called to this task of, of preaching the gospel, of doing something with, with, with the good news. I mean, I mean, come on, really, Scott, you just read a, a, an autobiography, how God gave him the responsibility of preaching the gospel, of sharing the good news with the Gentiles. That's a very astute observation to which I will give you two of my own. First, the responsibility of sharing the gospel with others um, uh, has been given to disciples of Christ in general in many other New Testament passages. We're going to look at a couple. Yes, Paul was called especially, but we have been commanded generally to share the good news. The second observation that I would make is rather obvious. Paul is no longer here. If it was only his job to share the gospel, if it was only the original 12's uh, job to share the gospel, as by the way some maintain, then there is no one alive today who has that duty since they're all dead. So here's my question, who shared it with you? It wasn't Peter, it wasn't James, it wasn't Paul, it wasn't John, who was it? It is our shared responsibility to preach the gospel to a lost world, to give away our wealth, remembering that as we give it away, there's plenty more to come. So let's, let's take a moment to look at Paul's autobiography, fine, and, and see what we can apply in our evangelism. You see, when Paul says that grace was given, him, given to him to preach the word to preach is the word from which we get our word gospel. It's, it means literally to evangelize. That's our job, to give away our wealth through evangelism. So we're going to look at how evangelism is the responsibility of all, of all the saints. I'm going to invite you to take the pledge. We're going to see how evangelism preaches the riches of Christ. That's important. We're going to see how evangelism preaches the mystery. And then, this is a little odd, we're going to see how evangelism preaches to angels. And then, 
there's some fine print that I need you to be aware of. That if you agree, every contract has some fine print. And if you agree to take the pledge to sign up, I need you to know there's some fine print because evangelism brings suffering. Five points, so we must move quickly. First, evangelism is the responsibility of all the saints. Now, admittedly, that's not technically what Paul is saying. I know, I'm extrapolating just a bit. Paul says in verse 8, to me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. It's very interesting there that he actually makes up a word. The word, the word very least is one word. It's a word that he's made up. It's the word least to which he adds a suffix, which if we were to translate it list, literally, it would be the word leaster. If you're the least, you can't be leaster. It's like saying you're the worstest, like your kids say. If you're the worst, there can't be a worster. But you see, Paul was acutely aware of the sin of his past life, specifically in trying to destroy the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, he said, it is a trustworthy statement and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost of all, among whom I am the worstest. I am the leaster of the saints, the worstest of sinners among all followers of Jesus Christ. Yet, 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 when God saved him on the road to Damascus, he called Paul to take the gospel to the Gentiles, to preach the gospel that he once sought to destroy. Here's my point. If God took the worstest of sinners and the leaster of all the saints and gave him the responsibility to preach the gospel to others, don't you think we have the same responsibility? Not convinced? Didn't think so. Consider two other things. First, as I suggested there are other New Testament passages that spell out our responsibility to share the gospel. It would take the rest of the morning to read them all. I'll just share a couple of them with you. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, Jesus said, This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, to all the ethnos, to all the people groups, and then the end will come. Last time I checked, the gospel has not been preached to every people group, to every person. Last time I checked, the end has not yet come. And so we must still be preached. This gospel will be preached till then. In fact, in Matthew chapter 28, Jesus gave what we call the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, of every people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's conversion. And teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. That's discipleship. And lo, I am with you always till when? Even till the end of the age. Same truth. Preach the gospel to all nations until the end. We are not at the end yet. The apostles are no longer here. It now becomes our job. This is the mission of the church to make disciples. The second thing I would have you consider is this. No one is too least to preach the gospel. No one is too worst or too least to preach the gospel. You say, Scott, you don't know, you don't know my past life. You, you, you don't know my sin. 
You, you don't know how timid I am. You don't know how stuttering I am. You know, that would be mine. You, you, you don't know how ignorant I am. Can I tell you that there are all kinds of, well, there are all kinds of excuses But God took the worst of sinners, the least of the saints, and made Him the apostle to the Gentiles. And we have a similar responsibility. While we may not be apostles, we have the same empowering grace that called Paul, that saved us. We have the same empowering grace to preach the gospel. I am with you always, even till the very end of the age. Which brings us to our second point. What is it that we are supposed to preach? He says... The unfathomable riches of Christ. We are supposed to preach what we have and we're supposed to give it away. The word unfathomable is an old word which, which originally meant non-trackable. You see, it was a word that was used to describe a, a, a trail that a tracker could not trace. He couldn't follow it. He couldn't track. It was untrackable. It was unsearchable. It was undetectable. It was incomprehensible. In a word, it was unfathomable. It, it was, it's used only here and in Romans 11 in the New Testament where Paul s- speaks there of the wisdom of God in the gospel. Don't have this on the screen, but listen. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable. Un- that's the word Beyond tracing are His ways. So, just what are the unfathomable riches of Christ? It's a good question. I don't know. They're untrackable. But I think that we can begin with what we, that list that we began the sermon with that we've seen in Ephesians 1 to 3. These are the riches of Christ that we've received, that we're not supposed to hoard, that we're supposed to share. We are supposed to be about the business of telling people, listen, I know you don't know it, but you are really, really, really poor, but I got some good news. You can be really, really, really rich. Now, this, by the way, tells me something else very, very important. When speaking with non-believers about the things of Christ, We ought to focus our conversation on the unfathomable riches of grace in Christ. You see, I think that too often we get sidetracked into important but not most important issues. What do I mean? We argue, we're good at it, we argue with non-believers about, well, what are the hot topics today? I mean, we argue about politics. We argue about sexual issues, sexual orientation. We argue about evolution and, and creation. And now, now listen, I said important issues. Say those were not important. I said they were not most important. It is my contention that if you win someone to your side in a debate, all you will have then is an unregenerate colleague. For example, if you convince someone that life begins at conception, and listen, this is, uh, you know, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and we just watched a video, this is, this is an important issue. But if you convince someone that life begins at conception and abortion is therefore wrong, all you have is an unsaved pro-lifer. 
If you convince someone that conservative Christians are all Republicans, I'm not saying that, by the way, then all you have is an unsaved Republican, and God knows we've got enough of them. And a believer in intelligent design does not a Christian make. I am not suggesting that there is never a place for those discussions, even with unbelievers. I am saying that if that is all that we talk about and we do not preach the unfathomable riches of Christ, we are missing the boat. This may come as a shock to you, but a person can be a pro-life creationist Republican and still be lost. I am not interested in making people Republicans. I am interested in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, not only do we share these riches of Christ, Paul said he also sought to bring light to the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things. What? What, what does that mean? This is a little more specific to Paul's apostolic duties. He says it was his desire in his preaching that people know about the mystery. What's the mystery? We've we, we talked about it. We've learned in New Testament language that a mystery was something that was previously unknown, but now has been made known. We've learned that the mystery was something that, that we never could have figured out on our own. We weren't smart enough. It was the plan of God that took the revelation of God to be made known and understood. That's why, for example, in this text, Paul says this mystery was hidden in God uh, for, for all ages. Now, 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 don't miss that last part. This mystery was hidden in God for all ages. That means this mystery's been around a while. That means this mystery was not an afterthought. It was the plan of God for all ages, read in other places, before the foundation of the world. Which means before, before God ever said, let there be, there already was His plan. This mystery has always been his goal. He did not adjust his plan when Adam and Eve fell into sin. He did not have to figure out a way to redeem us through the cross after the fall. The fall and sin did not take him by surprise. Listen, this is a little heady, but it's true. It has always been his plan for humankind to fall into sin and to redeem us this way. Ah, yeah. Every once in a while, people, uh, you've heard me say this a thousand times, I'm going to say here's a thousand and one. Every once in a while, people ask me, was there not some other way for God to redeem humankind than through the death of His Son? Wrong question. It's been the plan forever. It's always been the plan. That's what Paul says when he says, this mystery was hidden in God. You know, the one who created all things, he goes on to say. He created the heavens and the earth. He created humans with free will. Uh, 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 did, did he know when he did that that they were going to sin? Yeah, of course he did. It was his plan. He created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It didn't get slipped into the garden unaware. He created the angels, a third of which rebelled. 
He created the prince of demons, Satan, who tempted Eve, who fell into sin along with Adam. Because this is the mystery. This is part of the mystery hidden in God for all ages. So, in the book of Ephesians, we have found that this mystery includes, as it revolves around this gospel, a couple of very important ideas. One is that, that all things will ultimately be summed up in Christ. Yeah, this planet is a mess, but, but it's all according to plan. And God is in the process of currently redeeming and reconciling it. And Paul says, I want you to know I preach that in my proclamation of the gospel. I want everyone to know that, that the ultimate purpose of everything, the end result of all history, where we have been going for all time is the summing up of all things in Christ. I want, I want people to know when I preach the gospel, this is not about you, it's about Him. It's about all things in heaven and all things on earth being summed up in Christ. And those things on earth are represented, we've seen, by the church of Jesus Christ as Jesus by His blood redeems humanity and brings them together representatively in the church Things are being summed up. And so, Paul says, I have, I have brought this to light so that in Christ we know this is His purpose, bringing us together one body. It's, just, it's amazing. There's no Jew or Gentile, no slave or freeman, no male or female. We are one in Christ, and I preach that. Now, in the preaching of that, in uh, um, unfathomable riches of Christ and the mystery, it accomplishes something else. It communicates to angelic beings that God knew what He was doing all along. That's a little odd. This, this wisdom, it, it teaches that His wisdom is inscrutable. And that those angels who continue to serve God were right. And that those who fell and became demons were wrong. Look at verse 10. I I, I preach this so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Paul says, I am bringing to light the mystery which was hidden in God for all time so that, that's a purpose clause, this is the reason that I'm doing this, so that the manifold wisdom of God may now be made known through the church to rulers and authorities in heavenly places. What, what does that mean? The word manifold speaks of multi, the multifaceted wisdom of God, kind of like a diamond has many different facets or faces. The word was also used to speak of many different colored threads which were, were, were taken and woven together to form a beautiful tapestry. So, the, the many threads of God's wisdom is now being made known like a tapestry. How? He's already told us. By the church. This universal body of Christ, think about it, made up of all kinds of believers from all time and all places, people from every tribe and tongue and 
kindred and nation. People of all different colors and, 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 and backgrounds and being woven together into a beautiful tapestry. And then Paul throws us a curveball. To whom is this wisdom made known? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What? Well, in chapter 1, we spent some time identifying rulers and authorities. These are specific words in heavenly places. And we'll go over that again. But let me simply say that these are words that Paul uses to speak of angels, both fallen and unfallen angels. We could say it this way. It's to speak of angels and demons. So, one author said it this way. God is the writer, director, and producer of this drama. The world is the stage. The script is the plan of God which began unfolding through the cross. The actors are us. But now here's the question. Who's watching? Who are the spectators watching this drama unfold? He tells us it's the angels. Remember what Peter said of, of the angels and the gospel in 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's, let's look at it in its context. As to this salvation through, through the gospel, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful searches and inquiries, seeking to know. They wanted to know the person or the time um, that the, the Spirit of Christ within, within them, that's the Holy Spirit, was indicating um, who, who is this Christ? When's he going to get here predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow? And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. In these things which now have been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now look, things into which angels long to look. And so here we have this this mystery of the gospel that the Old Testament writers wrote about and they didn't even understand it. They said, but it wasn't for you. It's, it's for you to whom the gospel has been preached. And, and, and angels have longed to look into this mystery. And now Paul tells us that they are watching this mystery unfold in the lives of people in this huge panoramic drama. It is why we read that there is joy in the presence of the angels every time one sinner repents. You see, we share the gospel and a sinner repents and they're up there shouting to one another saying, look, look, that's the gospel. Look how smart God is. As, as he unfolds this, they're seeing the manifold wisdom of God unfold right before their very eyes. They're watching as he weaves together from many different colored threads his tapestry into a living entity called the church, and they are amazed. He's, he's so smart. Paul repeats it in verse 11. This was in accordance with the, notice, eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus. Again, this was not an afterthought. This was God's plan from all eternity. And angels in heaven, as they see it unfold, are amazed. And angels, they, 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 they behold the work of God in the gospel, and they break out into spontaneous praise. We read about it in Revelation chapter 5. And then I looked, 
And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. Just a bunch of angels, a bunch of angelic beings. And the number of how many? Well, the number of them was myriads and myriads. That's his way of saying uncountable. Thousands of thousands. Saying with a loud voice. What do they say? This gospel is amazing. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing and every created thing which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and on the sea and all the things in them. I heard them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb. This gospel is amazing. Blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures, well, they're just speechless. All they can say is amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Because when the angels behold the manifold wisdom of God as seen in the gospel, they, break, they can't help but break out into praise. It's amazing. Who, who would have thought of that? And then Paul goes on, he says, and because of Christ and the gospel, you have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. And you go, what? Wait, 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 wait. I don't, I don't get that. It's not a curveball. It, it makes sense. It's, it, it's really, really important. He says, while all of this is going on in heaven, and all of these myriads and myriads of angels are falling down on their faces and worshiping God, you get to boldly walk into his presence while all this is going on. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. And you get to pop in and say, hey, dad, can I talk to you for a minute? You have, you have bold. That means, that means to be able to speak boldly, confident access. Why do we need that? Because Paul is is laying some groundwork here. He says to us that when we share the gospel, we are preaching to rulers and authorities, which includes angels, yes, but it also includes fallen angels. It includes demons as well. And so when we preach, we are saying to fallen angels, you lose, God wins, you're defeated. He wants us to remember that we are involved in spiritual warfare. He's going to talk about it. He's laying some groundwork. He's going to talk about it in chapter 6, but for now he wants to encourage us. See, he's writing to Ephesus. Remember, Ephesus was, the, was, was a place of dark, occultic, magic arts. He says, now I want you to, to, to preach the gospel, and as you evangelize, I want you to understand that you are preaching to fallen rulers and authorities, but that's okay. It's in accordance with God's eternal purposes, and while you're doing it, you have access into God's very presence. Don't worry about it. In fact, he goes on. Verse 5, I mean, uh, fifth point. So, we all have the responsibility to preach the gospel. This gospel is comprised of the unfathomable riches of Christ. It includes the mystery that having been brought together in one new humanity, the church is making known even to angelic beings, fallen and unfallen, the manifold wisdom of God. And Paul says, but there's some fine print that you need to be aware of. Aware of. You take the pledge, you take the commitment, you start giving it away, you start sharing it, you start proclaiming the gospel. I want you to know something, it's going to be trouble. It got me arrested. He suffered for the gospel in great tribulation. 
Again, at this point, he's in prison in Rome. We know this. You can read about his other um, uh, uh, sufferings for the gospel in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where he gives a whole laundry list of things that he endured for the sake of the gospel and the church of Jesus Christ. But he says, listen, I want you to understand something. I, I, yeah, I'm suffering, but it is for your sake. And with that, he, he, he brings this, this digression to a close. You see, he started in, in, in verse 1, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ, And then he started that if-then thing. And if you've heard of my stewardship. uh, Yeah, I'm a prisoner, but I know you've heard of my stewardship. So, then, verse 13, don't lose heart in my tribulations. You see, Paul understood that suffering for the gospel is part of preaching the gospel. In fact, I would say that it's part of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're they're going to persecute you also. He he promised over and over again that his followers would be persecuted for his name's sake. Paul says, it's happening just like Jesus told me it would. He told me that I was going to be the apostle to the Gentiles and that I would suffer many things for his sake. He told me that, and he told you that too. Don't be surprised. Don't lose heart. It's it's for their sake. It's, It's for their glory that they will believe. So what do we take? The fact that if we are obedient to share the good news of Jesus Christ, we too will, we too will suffer. It's in the fine print. So, saints, preach the gospel. Preach the riches of Jesus Christ. Saints, Preach the mystery that all things are going to be summed up in Christ, in heaven and on earth through the church. Saints, know that as you do this, that angels are watching. That the good ones rejoice as you share the gospel and when one sinner repents. The bad ones, well, evangelism is an in-your-face. God's wisdom, despite your rebellion, is right. He wins, you lose. Saints, you will suffer for it. Paul did. Jesus did. You're in good company. He told the Philippians, to to whom he wrote the same time he was writing this book, same time he's in prison, he writes to the Philippians and he says this, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him. Isn't that great? (laughs) It's been as a gift. It's been granted to me to believe in Jesus. That's wonderful. And also, and also, but also to suffer for his sake. Take the pledge. You are wealthy, 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 wealthy people. You've got much to give away. Give it away. And know that you'll suffer because of it. But it's for their sake and for God's glory. Let's stand for prayer.